everyone, and welcome to another edition of the V-Auto Podcast. I'm Lance Helgeson from V-Auto, and I'll be your host for today's conversation. Our conversation topic goes to the heart of what all of us knows to be true about the car business, that it's a relationship business. And often, I think we all might consider these relationships as those between dealership teams and our customers. But equally, if not more important, is the relationship between dealers as employers and the people they hire to serve their customers and each other. And I'm excited to bring today's guest to the podcast. Adam Robinson is CEO and Chief Hierologist at Hierology, a company that helps about 4,000 dealers do a better job knowing the types of people they should hire, how to attract them, and most important, how to keep them on your team for the long haul. Adam's had a front row seat as dealers have worked to improve human capital management, an area of their business that, to put it bluntly, has probably been ripe for improvement for some time. And our conversation today will focus in particular on how hiring and training of dealership employees has changed in the past two to three years, and also what's coming next. Adam, I apologize for the long introduction. Thank you for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Lance. Great you to be bet. here. No, let's, let's go back uh, to the disruption that occurred and started in 2020 and what happened with dealers and their employee teams. We all know folks were laid off and lost jobs. So what are the highlights there, Adam, of where dealers were and where they stand today in terms of staffing levels at their dealerships? Yeah, I mean, Lance, you know, for th three months, most of, you know, most of your listening audience was uh, padlocked, right? Yeah. We couldn't do business. Uh, and so, you know, when you serve dealers uh, in, in the employment function uh, at a time when nobody can transact, it gets super interesting. You know, we, we forecasted up to half of all jobs at the retail level would either uh, be eliminated or uh, temporarily furloughed. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that layoff number actually approached uh, about a third, right? So by May of 2020, 360,000 jobs at the retail level went away and another 140,000 uh, were on temporary um, furlough status. Hmm. So nearly half the base yep. uh, of employees was, was really impacted by the industry. Um, and then starting in about the summer, things started opening back up for retailers. And, you know, the story, the business has been pretty good ever yep. since then for lots of reasons. But the dynamic at the employee level uh, and employer level has changed dramatically as a result of the operational changes that dealers had to, had to make in terms of digital retailing uh, and inventory availability that have, that have directly impacted um, you know, the, the, the variable side roles in particular sure. uh, service as well, but for different reasons, um, it's, it's changed the average employee count substantially. It's changed average, you know, unit level productivity of the sales force. Um, we can talk about all that, but the, the impact has been substantial, right? So the headline is half the labor force went away for a period of time. Um, I think about 15% of the, uh, of the staffing level is gone forever, right? Okay. I think we've 
We've leveled off at 85% or so of pre-pandemic staffing levels at the retail level. And I think that's the new benchmark. Now, so are we, but I, I do hear from dealers, Adam, that they're still looking for, t- for people, you know, that, that they, they, in some cases, maybe need to backfill positions. And, and then I guess in some, to your point, there's some positions they're not going to backfill at all. Um, but in terms of where there's greatest need for people now, what, what departments are, we're, are, are we seeing that occur? And where are we, where are you seeing dealers finding the talent to fill those positions? Yeah. I mean, so there's really two buckets, you know, the, the first is uh, on the service side, right? It's, you know, if fixed ops hiring technicians in particular, that demand went nowhere, but up. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. we have seen historically high levels of technician need now in the market. Um, that's, uh, uh, you know, that story has been around for a while, but I think um, for lots of reasons, you know, we'll, we continue to be about 60,000 technicians short of demand right now okay. in the market. That's across the retail level and across third party service brands. You know, your, your Jiffy Lubes and Makos of the world, there will never be enough fixed ops talent to meet demand. Hmm. Right. And so, you know, being exceptional at that is table stakes to maximizing, um, you know, fixed absorption opportunity and servicing units in your market mm-hmm. on the sales side. Uh, you know, when you've got 75 to 80% annualized turnover uh, in a role, there's also always demand regardless of staffing levels. So there's always demand for salespeople. The thing that's changed is that on average across, this is our own customer data, you know, the average salesperson at a, re- a new car retailer would be moving 10 or 11 cars a month on the new side. Yep. That number now looks more like 16 to 18 on average. Okay. Okay. And so, and so it's a really good time to be selling cars because let's be honest, selling cars isn't really the issue right now. Right. Um, <laughs> if you can find them, they're moving. That's right. And um, the pay plans that exist in the market, you know, if you would have told me, I I could show you in a market 50 individual salespeople making more than a quarter of a million dollars a year, um, just telling people cars are available. Hmm. I wouldn't have believed you, but it's, it's never been a better time to be on the sales side of the business because the pay plans are rich and the getting is good right now. I think, I mean, to forecast an issue, I think when inventory levels return and a little bit more of the sobriety returns to retail pricing on the new side, Sure. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens when those uh, earnings levels decrease to more historical norms. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, wh- where do you find that talent? You go to industries today where we're working with our dealerships to think about jobs as products. Hmm. Right. A, a, a job is a product just like a vehicle is a product. Mm-hmm. And the person who's shopping for a vehicle or service online is the exact same human being that shops for jobs online. So, you know, more than True. 70% of jobs today, job searches start on a mobile device on Google. Sounds pretty familiar. It's exactly how car buyers start their journey now. Yeah. And that that's a digital retailing motion, right? You have to think about the job as a product. Mm-hmm. Think about that target audience you're looking for. And we can talk about what some of those characteristics are. 
And then you're building a profile of a product that, that meets the need of that part of the market. And then you have to retail it like you do any other product online. You have to go through the right distribution. You have to think about SEO. You have to uh, host the inventory in a way that's discoverable by search engines and play that game. All the same things that make a retailer successful with digital marketing of cars and service are the concepts that win today in finding talent. Where is that talent coming from? It's coming from industries like hospitality, okay. which was the most uh, heavily impacted category of labor in the U.S. The yep. hospitality in uh, industry lost about 40% of the employment level uh, from February of 2020 has not recovered. There's still a million five jobs short of where they were pre-pandemic, even with the recovery. The hours are long. Um, the pay's not great. Yeah. It's a service products built specifically to people transitioning out of hospitality careers and into a retail automotive career. I'd be selling the reasons why that's a good idea. That playbook is really working right now. Okay, you you just offered a, a couple of really good points, but I, I, and I want to get into them. Let me go back to something uh, that you mentioned a moment ago about pay plans, and I, and I'm curious: have the fundamentals of the pay plan changed, or are they changing? And I, I'm thinking of like commission based stuff. That's why people are making the big bucks that you you mentioned a, a bit ago. Um, but are we seeing some shift, you, you know, or, or is that, is that okay, given you've got, you know, restaurant and, and other hospitality workers who were working off of tips, you know, and, and they had the uncertainty that sometimes you have an automotive. Yeah, that's the right question. I mean, I like, I think about pay plans. The question you ask yourself is what outcome am I trying to incentivize here? And so historically, the outcome has been, I want someone to negotiate the highest possible uh, front end margin on this new vehicle and move as many units as we can. Mm -hmm. I, that's not the outcome that we're incentivizing right now, right? So a high commission, highly variable pay plan works in an environment where the salesperson has control over the margin and the pricing. Yep. And, and, and it's, it's highly competitive for the deal. Well, what we all know, of course, today is consumers are going to one, maybe two dealerships. They're not going to six to eight anymore. They're mm -hmm. showing up, knowing the vehicle they want. They found it online. Please just sell me the car. Yep. That looks a lot more like a customer experience is great outcome that I want to incentivize, less than an economic uh, opportunity maximization for the dealership outcome I'm trying to maximize. And so yeah. as the industry has shifted necessarily toward focusing on consumer experience, the pay plans have really lagged that okay. desired outcome. So we're still paying people in this industry. I'd say 85% of, of sales pay plans are all or majority commission yeah. with 15% being I'll pay for your time hourly plans with some unit-based incentives. The headline here, Lance, is we're overpaying for what we want. Hmm. I'm trying to engineer great customer experience. I don't have a lot of inventory, so I don't really need to sell anything. What I need to do is help this consumer feel good about the decision that they've made to buy from me for sticker price. How do I do that? Mm -hmm. I don't need to sell. I'm really not negotiating because I don't need to. Yeah. I'm making more margin on the front than I ever have before. 
and I'm paying more to salespeople than I ever have before, I really don't need to do that anymore. Hmm. I need to pay for what I want, which is a customer doesn't feel like I held their feet to the fire because it was the only truck on the lot. That's, that's a very different type of person who can engineer a great experience. And, and I don't think full commission pay plans are the optimal one to incentivize that result. Mm -hmm. um, that said, everyone's doing really well. Yep. And, and, you know, in, in my experience on the employment side in this business, change doesn't happen in good times. Change happens in tough times. Uh, and times are good and why mess with what's working is kind of what I see out there right now. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I would, would mention is, you know, something I thought we'd be further along in, but now I actually see some acceleration, surprisingly, hmm. is the willingness to convert sales and service writing roles to, uh, to configure products, if you will, that cater to people looking for part-time work. So, hmm. you know, rhetorically, I ask dealers, why can't we build a product that's a 10 to 20 hour a week sales job on a, on my floor. Yep. We're having trouble filling nights and weekends. Let's build a product around working with customers just on nights and weekends. You know, so much of the talent uh, base today has a high degree of confidence in their own ability to engineer an earnings target through app based work. Mm -hmm. I can I can drive for Uber. I can deliver for Instacart. I can deliver for Amazon. Uh, I can pick up shift work and get paid the same day. I can do all these things on my own time and with my own agency. I under I, I can make the money I want to make. Why will I give up flexibility to go work full time on site uh, in an uncertain environment? There is a huge opportunity in this industry to experiment with part time variable op. Uh, roles at the BDC level and at the sales level. And I think would add probably 10 to 15% labor force capacity uh, to the talent pool in this business hmm. and also deliver a product that people, you know, in the labor market are actually looking for, which is flexible uh, hour uh, hours based part-time shift work uh, in, in what is a really exciting opportunity. I uh, I'm starting to see dealers open up to that. Um, why can't we sell cars from home? Well, we can, right? It turns, out, turns out we can do that. Yeah. Uh, why don't we move more aggressively to those kinds of models? By the way, when you go to part-time work, you start to peel cost away from the equation. Um, less than 30 hours a week, you're no longer subject to Affordable Care Act mandates and all the benefits mm -hmm. mandates and things mm -hmm. that come with full-time employment status. So there's a real economic opportunity here. There's mm -hmm. also a... Um, a, a, a business and talent development opportunity here. And that's, that, that's what I see happening right now. Very, very interesting. And, and you helped provide some additional color and detail there, Adam, on the point you made just a bit ago about defining the jobs as a product, you know, and, and, and how that might evolve a little bit. But let's talk about, and I, and I know you've talked at NADA uh, last month a bit about redefining the auto worker and I'm kind of curious, what are the characteristics, given that the roles have changed, given that that uh, the types of jobs that people do are, are different to some degree, um, what are the characteristics maybe that, that dealers should be looking for for these positions that previously weren't part of the consideration set? 
Yeah, um, absolutely the right question. Um, you know, we have moved pretty quickly from a traditional se uh, selling profile to one that looks a lot more like a product specialist profile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, some of the, uh, the luxury brands that pioneered this notion of um, product specialists yep. and not salespeople, I think that's come full mainstream now. Right. Okay. So we're, we're looking less for people who are money motivated purely, um, you know, just want to make a ton of money and really uh, moving toward, uh, you know, focusing on a talent pool where people are rewarded by generating great experience and delivering service to people and passion for products. And that profile is just a very different one. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's, it tends to be a more stable labor force. Uh, it tends to be a more highly educated labor force and um, it tends to be a labor force that expects more out of their employer. Yeah. Right. So all of those things work together. So in order to have access to the kind of talent you need to really wow a customer as a dealer, you have to be willing to look at the incentive structure. And I think, you know, just categorically, we need to move away from, all the risk is on the employee yeah. because you eat what you kill to I'm paying you for every hour you're here. So the risk is mine that I'm figuring out through great management and process, how to generate economic productivity uh, for every hour you're here uh, because I'm taking the risk. And we remain one of the only industries recruiting this talent that is by and large paying for a result versus paying for time. Hmm. And the average worker now looking for a job in automotives, we surveyed 5,000 job seekers just in the fourth quarter, is applying to 10 other jobs beside yours. So if you wow. think, I'm looking, and that's up from an average of about five or six pre-pandemic. Okay. So if I'm looking at 10 other opportunities and all 10 of those opportunities are going to pay me for my time, and you're the opportunity that, yeah, I could make more money, but it's not really flexible. And in 90 days, I'm either making money or I'm making zero. You're the outlier. Hmm. And you never want to be the high risk outlier when you're competing for talent in a market like this. And I, I think that's going to start to become a topic of conversation Sounds like when it, yeah. inventory levels balance out. And um, average earnings at the selling level starts to come back to historical levels. Now, I, I had thought of a question uh, here, Adam, about what might be the biggest misconception that dealers and managers have about the current hiring environment. Is that it, what you just articulated? Or is there some something else you might put on that uh, on a list there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's less of a misconception than a lack of awareness of who we're competing with for these people. Okay. We're not competing with other dealers. We're competing quite literally with every other service oriented employer in the market. Okay. It's not just other retailers. It's not just Amazon. It's everyone. Everyone is looking for the same people right now, the same profile, delivering great consumer level experience. Um, a little more of a, ref of a refined approach, one in which they're looking for career growth that pays stability, not necessarily the most pay, and an employer of choice, someone they're proud to work for. And I don't know that that's a, a misconception that, you know, perhaps that's not true. I think, 
people understand that and everyone wants to hire that profile. I, I think there's a lack of understanding of what it really takes, particularly if you're a larger platform group, to address this issue at scale. It, mm. it requires making people practices a core strategic pillar of your business model, not something that is, you know, hire 10 and one will stay historically the way we've been doing it. it it's, it's elevating the, the, the uh, intentionality behind human capital strategy at the retail level. And that takes new management uh, focus. Well, I, was just, I would argue there's no more important thing to be thinking about right now. So that, that touches a question, and maybe I don't mean to put you on the spot, Adam, but I think I will. Um, what does that dynamic portend from, for the managers now, you know, who have uh, been accustomed to managing to achieve a result? You know, it's a different, it's a different outcome that they're now managing to. So what, what are you seeing there? Are, are we, is it go back to school for, for some of the managers or what's it, what's it going to take to bring this together? Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's such a good question, and it's the most important question. What do managers do in this business? What is the role of the GSM? Mm-hmm. Traditionally, it's been make sure the deals are right, move units, stay staffed. Okay, I don't know that that part of it changes at all, but the how changes in a really big way because why it needs to change is because this isn't the way the world works anymore. Yeah. So we, we have to change. And I think managers, particularly at the sales level, have to rethink the role and moving away from a headcount times units equals an outcome. And if I'm turning people over, I'm just replacing what's fallen as long as the units move, it's fine. If, if this individual can't sell, that's fine. I haven't paid them much. That mentality of just keep yep. them coming through changes, you know, when you're paying somebody for their time, if they're not productive, it gets really expensive. You're taking that risk. And so the role of a manager, which by the way, is true for all other industries, perhaps other than ours, right. is do I have the right person in this seat? Do they have, or have I been really clear about my expectations? Have I developed an onboarding plan that helps them achieve success? Am I checking in with them to make sure they're getting what they need to be successful? Am I helping them develop a professional skill set that will pay increasing dividends to my business while being professionally rewarding to that individual? It's, it's the, the mindset of a manager shifting from unit level production to how do I achieve success through the work of these individuals and make sure they're getting what they need and they're staying with me? And it's, it's answering the question, am I delivering an experience and a product to my workforce that they like? Mm -hmm. Are they buying it? Are they continuing to buy it? Retention, employee retention is a function of that mindset for sure. Let me, let me ask a question, uh, two other questions, Adam, and, and I, I'm grateful for you kind of bearing with me here. But it, thinking about that new individual that we're trying to attract to these, these new positions, um, are they more likely to, to let you know, to let, like, let, let's say I'm, I'm the manager and I'm not really accustomed to helping people per se. But I, I wonder if the folks who are in the pool now that we're going for, are they more likely to be more vocal and to let the manager know such that 
the, the signs are there before it becomes a crisis to do something. Yes. Two, okay. two things are true now with this workforce that were less true even two or three years ago. Number one, if they're not getting what they need, they're going to tell you. Okay. Right. Either directly or somewhat directly. Um, the other thing that's true is if they don't get it, they're gone really fast. Okay. Right. <laughs> so, you know, the, because there's so much employment opportunity relative to the labor force participation rate right now, mm -hmm. I'm never stuck anywhere. I can always go do something else. Yeah. And if I'm not, if you're not committed to my success, I'm not going to be committed to your success. This can't be a one-way transaction anymore. Yeah. So I, I'm here to, to learn and to grow. I would like to make money, but I really want an opportunity that's differentiated. If I share with you what I'm not getting and it's a shoulder shrug and well, kid, that's the way we do it here. Okay. Good luck to you, sir. Uh, I'm going to go do this for someone else. And that is why um, even with this market right now, the turnover rate at the sales level reached an all-time high last year. Really? What, what, yes. what was that? I think the NADA workforce study pegged it at around 80%. Historically, Oof. it's been in the, in the low 70s. Yeah, yeah. But, wow. but we're making more money, at, right? Never made more money at the sales level, and we've never had higher turnover. What does that tell you? It tells you the product's wrong. Yeah. The experience is off, and that's super expensive. And I think it's hidden because dealers have never made more money than they have right now. So there's the incentive to change feels really low, but it's going to hit you 18 months from now when, you know, it, 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 yeah. you're just not hiding it anymore, right? It's just, you just have expense now. Well, that brings me to a final question. And I, and I was thinking about, uh, the, the question is this, Adam. So if you and I sat down a year from now, what would be our topic of conversation? And, and maybe you just articulated that, but what, what would we be talking about if we had a similar podcast a year from now? Uh, a year from now, we are going to be talking about staffing levels. We're going to be talking about pay plans and retention. Okay. And I think... Um, what I'll be showing is a bifurcation in the market between retail level employers who have taken some risk and shifted to more modern work structure, mm -hmm. more flexibility, part-time job offerings, um, a shift to more base pay, and those who have not. And I think I'll uh, be telling you within certain major markets, um, economic performance at the dealership level will be differentiated based on who made those decisions now when times were great and who's behind the curve scrambling yet again because they didn't do anything when times were great. I think that's the discussion. Very good. Well, I'll look forward to having that discussion, Adam. Yeah, so will I. <laughs> and thank you for taking time to join today's podcast, Adam. Very grateful for your insights and, and help here. Of course. Thanks for having me. And, and folks, thank you all for joining this episode of the Viato Podcast. Until next time, stay well. Cool. That felt that pretty, fun. Yeah, it felt pretty good, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, so good. That, that is surprising, 80%. But I guess that, that just speaks to, yeah. People can do whatever they want right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the journals run a bunch of articles lately on, 
uh, workforce attitudes toward gig employment where, you know, driving Uber, I'll just say as a category, you know, gig work had a stigma to it. Like, oh, you're not full time. You're doing all this gig work. That's gone. Now, actually, the, the, the size of the, you know, core labor force, 18 to 45 year old labor force mm-hmm. now views uh, shift based or gig work more favorably than full time employment in skilled hourly work. The, wow. the attitudes have completely changed and it has everything to do with flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've gotten, we've, we've come to the pandemic helped us understand what flexibility kind of looks like. That's correct. And, you know. and, and the expectations will stay because there will always be employers willing to create opportunities that fit what people want. And, yeah. and then everyone chases that, right? They get first crack and whatever's left over is what we compete for in our industry. And I think that needs to change. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Adam, it is a pleasure to see you, chat with you. I I appreciate you taking time. Always fun. All right. Stay well. We'll talk to you soon. Same to you. See you soon.